things that are hard for us to understand. Uh, while you're turning to Matthew chapter 18, I'll say, as is brought to my attention this morning, happy birthday, Brother Jason, this morning. Uh, y'all may know him as the guy that plays the bass, but Jason, today is his birthday, on today, this very day. So happy birthday to you, brother. In Matthew chapter 18, we are going to be looking today at a parable that I think is fairly familiar for some of us, mainly because it's one that, as was evidenced by the number of hands raised, it's one that we teach early on. We teach this in children's Sunday school. We teach the parable of the lost sheep in vacation Bible school. It's one of those stories that uh, it's short and, and it's easy to remember, and it's one that we teach fairly often, even to our children in church. So many of us have at least heard it at some point or another. But in case you haven't, let me read it directly from the text for us. We'll begin in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus speaking, he said, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So, so here we have, at least in the middle verses of the text I just read, we find our text for today. We find the parable that Jesus spoke about that we're, we're talking about today. And this parable of the lost sheep in and, in and of itself is not a deeply complicated or hard to understand text for Christians. This is one of those, and of course we have to be clear in context, some of the teachings that we find in Scripture apply to all people universally. Some teachings in Scripture only apply to those in the church. They only apply to Christians, to people that have re responded to Jesus Christ in faith and that are now following Him actively. These are Christians. And that's, this text today applies to those people. This is a text that is teaching for Christians. If you're here this morning, if you're listening on the podcast this week, and you are not a Christian, uh, not that you should just tune out and not listen, uh, but what you find this morning will apply to you, hopefully, at one point in the future when you do respond in faith to Jesus Christ. Uh, and you will find in this text as well this morning, I pray, some reasons that might would make you more likely to respond when the Lord is calling you to respond to him. In verse 12 is where we find the actual parable in this teaching. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. We're going to look at this parable a little bit deeper in just a little while, but before we get into the other teaching here, I do want us to, to make sure that we're all on the same page about this actual parable itself. Here we see a man who owns a hundred sheep, which gives us a clue into the idea that this is talking about Christians. In this parable, the man, the shepherd, the one that owns the sheep, is likened to Jesus. The fact that he owns these sheep, that they are his, that they belong to him, Help us to understand that here it's talking about Christians. These are people that belong to God. These are people that are the sheep of his pasture. And commonly throughout the scriptures, we, we see 
the scripture writers referring to Christians or God's people as the sheep of his pasture. So here when we see one sheep that's going astray, we have to understand that in this parable we are the sheep. And more specifically in this parable, you and I are the sheep that went astray. At one point or another, we have all gone astray. We have all strayed away from safety, from the safety of the flock, from the safety of the shepherd. And when we do stray, the teaching that we all know well is that God loves us enough that he would secure and leave the other 99 sheep in order to come and get us and to safely restore us to the sheep of his pasture, to his pasture, to his protection. That's how much God loves us. Those are the links that God's willing to go to in order to keep us in the place that we should be. But there's something else that we need to make sure that we're very clear about. And this parable that we see today isn't only about, or the teaching that Jesus is making with this parable, let me say, isn't only about me and God. It's not only about you and God. In this, what Jesus is trying to do in a larger context is he's trying to teach us about our relationship with one another. Now, some of you are saying, Brother Zach, listen, I've taught this text before. I've taught this in Sunday school. I've, I've studied this. There's, there's nothing in those verses that you read this morning that would make me believe that. But what we have to understand is that Jesus is teaching here in a larger unit. So in chapter 18, we have to ask this question. Why did Jesus bring up this parable in the first place? What is it that Jesus is trying? What is his intention in teaching this parable? And we get a clue into it in the very first verse. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew 18, look with me at verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, Everything that Jesus says all the way through what we're looking at today and even the text that follows uh, is in response to this question. Jesus is trying to answer this question that the disciples ask. Now, we understand this question. If you've read the Gospels in the Bible, you've heard that the disciples asked this question more than one time. This is obviously something that they debated and discussed multiple times. And it comes up here again. Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? But I love the way that it's phrased. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I just, and I don't get off track very often. I don't count this as off track because I have it in my notes to get off track here. But I wanted to take just a moment and remind us, if you have ever asked that question before, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? If you ever come to a point of asking that question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I just want to give you a very quick reminder that when Isaiah is given a vision to see what it looks like in heaven, whenever John is given the revelation and he sees what things look like, whenever we see the picture of the new heaven and the new earth, there's one throne. There's one throne. They're not... Two thrones are not three thrones are not four thrones. You and I don't have thrones. The picture that we see is that there's one throne and God is seated on that throne. And whether there are angels around the throne that are singing his praises or whether there are saints in heaven around the throne that are bowing down before it, we are focused on the throne because there's only one who sits on the throne. So when we ask the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The answer is always God. 
God is always the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you and I being part of the kingdom of heaven need to remember that. That it's never about us. It's never about what we want. It's never about what we desire. It's never about what we like. It's always about God. He's the one on the throne. Just a quick reminder. That's not exactly what they're asking here. They're asking which of us is the greatest. God, is it Peter? Peter gets to lead sometimes, and Peter gets to answer some questions. Is it John? They refer, we see him referred to sometimes in the scriptures as the disciple that Jesus loved. Who's the greatest? Which one of us has the, the best position, the highest ranking when it comes to our status in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus then answers that question by calling over a child that's nearby. He calls a child to come and stand by him. And gives them the teaching that many of us have heard before. That we need to humble ourselves like little children in the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is teaching, I want to kind of sum it up quickly because it's not the parable we're looking at today. But what Jesus is teaching them here, what he goes on to teach in the next few verses. Is that whoever comes to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's Peter, whether it's John. Whatever human comes to be part of the kingdom of heaven, they need to come in, and as soon as we come in, we need to humble ourselves. We don't need to come in and say, all right, how do I work my way up the power structure here? How do I get more authority? How do I get a better position? No, we need to come in like little children. We're not here to lead. We're here to serve. We're here to be part of this kingdom and to just be glad that we're part of this kingdom. We're not here in order to try and work our way up. In verse 4, he said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives the teaching that when we come to the kingdom, that we need to put ourselves last, that we need to put God first, that we need to put other people in front of ourselves. We need to follow the example of the great I am who was willing to leave heaven, right? We know, the, we know the story about Jesus. Jesus left the glory of heaven. He humbled himself, took the form of a servant, lived a life of service, giving himself away over and over and over until he actually gave his life away at the cross when he died in our place. We need to follow his example. Whenever Jesus said, I'm here to serve, we need to remember the teaching that the last will be first in the kingdom of heaven. So when we come as Christians, we don't come looking for power and authority and, and for all of those things that the world tells us we need. We come in to serve others and to be humble. Point one this morning, Christians should be humble and should think much of other Christians. And that's what's important for you. You say, Brother Zach, why are you teaching all of this? You're off track about the parable. No, the reason I'm teaching this is because after Jesus explains this to them, he then goes into the rest of this chapter. And what he's doing after that, we see in, in verse 5, he talks about how Christians should receive one another. And then in verses 6 and 7, he gives woe to anybody that makes a Christian sin. He keeps referring to Christians here as the little ones, but that's because he just told us we need to humble ourselves like little ones. Woe to anyone that would cause one of these little ones to sin. That we should receive these little ones. And then we get to today's text. And look with me at verse 10, how he introduced before he got to the parable. Verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. 
For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What we see here is Jesus immediately tying this parable and its teaching to the answer that he's giving to the disciples. He refers again to the little ones. Now, he's not just talking about children when he says little ones. He's talking about Christians that have humbled themselves. In this parable and in today's teaching, Jesus isn't just telling us how we relate to God. He's telling us how we should relate to one another. I pray that you hear that this morning. Let that stick. Jesus today is teaching the church. He's teaching the disciples how we need to relate to one another. Now, how does the parable fit into that? We'll see that in just a minute. But what he says here, when you look at the definition of this word, despise, see that you do not despise, it's looking down on somebody else or thinking very little of somebody else. So Jesus says, when we become Christians, we need to be very careful that we need to see to it, that we need to make sure that we don't look at any other Christian as being of little significance, of little importance, of being less than we are. And I want that to be something that you think on for just a moment. Are there other Christians in the church? Especially if you've come into the church, especially if you've come into the kingdom looking for power, looking for position. Are there other people in the church that you look at them and you say, well, they aren't as important as I am. Are there other people in the church, are there other Christians that you look down upon for whatever reason? Because Jesus says here, see to it that you don't do that. Be very careful to make sure that you don't do that. That you see all Christians of being of great importance. That we see all Christians as being in some way, more significant than us because we're humbling ourselves. He calls us to do that here. And then we see the last part of verse 10, which is, it's a teaching that we see here in verse 10 and that's found nowhere else in all of Scripture. The second half of verse 10. There's no parallel teaching to it anywhere in Scripture, and it's one that people always love to ask questions about when they come across it. For I tell you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And some of you this morning would love for me to expound upon that. I'm just going to tell you I'm not going to this morning. One, because I don't know exactly what that means. Is it talking about guardian angels? Is it talking about... I don't know. But I do know this. I know why Jesus teaches it here. The reason that Jesus says that here is he's trying to tell us, he's trying to show us how important every single Christian is to God. He says, these little ones, these that we might think of as insignificant, our brothers and sisters in Christ, you want to know how important they are to God? Every single one of them has an angel that has direct access to the throne and very face of God. That's how important they are to God, that he has assigned to each and every Christian an angel that he allows direct access to himself. What Jesus is trying to tell us here is that every Christian, each Christian, that you as a Christian 
are extremely important to God. Point two, every Christian is important to God. If you want to say, because sometimes each and every don't mean the same thing, each Christian is important to God. How important? Well, we see this teaching that they have their own angel that has access to the throne of the Father. We see the teaching in verse 5 whenever he was talking about the child and trying to help them understand that whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. That when we warmly greet and make much of one another that it means so much to Jesus that he counts it as us receiving him. It's pretty important. We see, of course, in Scripture the teaching that we are made in his image. We see the teaching that we're important enough to God that he sent his son from heaven to die in our place to secure for us salvation for all that would respond to him. We see the teaching that God has planned out for us every single day that we're going to live and he has even planned very specific good works that we would be able to do. We've seen that he knit us together in our mother's womb. We see the teaching that he accepts us into his family, that he adopts us as his children, that he makes us co-heirs with Christ, that he's preparing a place for us in heaven. There are lots of teachings in Scripture that show us exactly how important and how valuable and how loved each and every Christian is, how important you are. And I pray this morning that if you came in and you felt like I'm not an important Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of the pastors. I'm not one of the Sunday school teachers. I'm not one of the deacons. I'm not an outreach minister. I'm, I'm just nobody in the kingdom. I pray that you hear this morning that there are no nobodies in the kingdom of God. That in the kingdom of God, every single person is valuable. And every single person is important to God. And then... To drive the point home even further of how important we are to God, he gives us our parable for today. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? So again, God says, Jesus says, imagine. You've got a shepherd, you've got a hundred sheep, and one of them leaves. It would be easy, kind of like Brother Shane said earlier, it would be easy to say, well, got 99 more sheep what's one sheep it's not that big of a deal but that's not how God operates God says no he doesn't say one of the sheep went astray he said Zach went astray not just one of them Zach or Joe or John or Don or Sandy or Sally whatever your name is he says he went away she went away and she is important to me he is important to me. I can't stand the thought of, of John being gone out there by himself, not knowing what might happen. So I'm going to get him and bring him back because he's valuable to me. Like if one of your children strayed away and they're gone and you look and you say, oh no, so-and-so's not here. Oh well, I've got a few more. No, you wouldn't say that, I pray. You would go and get them. Why? Because they are valuable and important to you. They are loved by you. He says here, that's how God looks at us. And so when we stray, and the word here for stray means that whenever we move away from safety, 
when we move away from safety, whether it's we've actually left the church and we're not in fellowship with other Christians, which helps us to stay more safe, whether it's that we're giving in to a certain temptation, there's, there's some sin that has drawn us away, and he doesn't give qualifying statements. Whenever we give in to that temptation for the first time, he comes to get us, but if we do it for a second or third time, he doesn't. He says, no, every time that you stray as a child of God, God's coming to get you. It doesn't matter. He doesn't say, well, you know what? He knew better. Sometimes we like to say that about people. You know what? If it was, if it was somebody else's fault that they're where they are, it's different. But they knew better. God doesn't give any, Jesus doesn't give any of those qualifying statements right here. When you stray, when you move away from safety, he's coming to get you. Because you're valuable. So he's going to leave the 99 and he's coming after you. And many of you this morning, I believe, could testify to this fact. Is there anybody here this morning that would raise your hand or say amen that you have strayed, that you have been in a place that you shouldn't have been, and God came to get you? Can anybody say amen to that this morning? Anybody? I've been there where I shouldn't have been, in a place where I'm not safe anymore, of my own choosing, and he came to get me anyway. Brothers and sisters, you are valuable to God. And not only does he come get you, because sometimes... We do things because mama said we have to, but we do it reluctantly. That's not the picture of God coming to get you here. It's not, I've got to go get. Look at verse 13. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Like if you had literally lost your child, how excited you would be. Or if you have a child or grandchild that's caught in some sin or some temptation. And you know that they're not where they need to be. You know that they're in some addiction. You know that they've been with the wrong people. You know that they've been cheating. You know how vulnerable they are. And then they're restored to the place that they need to be. How excited you would be. How much you would rejoice. That's how God is when he comes to find us. But the last thing that I want to make sure that you don't miss just before we leave this morning is this. This parable, again, isn't given to us just to teach us about how much God loves us. That is part of it. Absolutely. Jesus wants us to understand how much God loves us. But he also is answering the question, which of these is the greatest? He's also expounding on his teaching in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. See that you don't look down on one of these little ones. How is it that we can make sure that we don't look down on any other Christian? We can understand how important every Christian is to God, and we can make them that important to us as well. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to say, guys, if you're this important to God, if that person sitting on the other side of the sanctuary is this important to God, then they should be this important to you as well. Point three, the last point. Every Christian is important to God and should be to us as well. See that you don't despise any of these little ones. See that you don't despise one. Not even, there's no Christian that we should say, well, he is actually less important. I know, but she really is not worth going to get. God, Jesus says there are none 
that aren't worth going to get. And if God loves us so much that when we stray, that he's coming to get us, then what Jesus is also telling us this morning is that when our brothers and sisters stray, we should be willing to go and get them as well. Not with qualifying statements. Brother so-and-so has gone off the deep end again, but this is too many times. I'm not going to get him anymore. No, that's not in the statement. She's doing this, but she knew better, so I'm not going to get her. That's not part of this qualifying statement. He says that when God has a sheep that strays, he goes to get them, and we should do the same. When you have a brother or sister that you see giving in to some temptation, you need to go and try and restore them to safety. When there's a brother or sister that is no longer coming and being part of the church and they're out on their own and all of a sudden we know that without the protection of other people that love them and that care about them, that they're more vulnerable to do the wrong thing, we need to go and we need to try in a loving and caring way to restore them to the flock, to the group, to the church. And it goes much further than just the people in this building. It's easy for us to think, Yes, I need to love all other people that are members of Mount Zion, but Jesus isn't teaching to a church here. He's teaching to his followers. So if you have a co-worker that's a Christian, if you have a family member that's a Christian, if you have a neighbor that's a Christian, and they don't go here, they go to Faith Presbyterian, or they go to First Baptist, or they go to East Haven, we need to be willing to go get them when they stray too. It's not about this church. It's about the church, the universal church. But we especially, for those that we see week in, week out, that we should have a close enough relationship to that I know when you're straying, right? I know your habits, and I know your routines because I spend time with you and we do life together. And when I see you doing the wrong things now, I need to understand that you're doing the wrong things and I need to come after you. Not in some way that makes me look good, but in some way that shows you that I love you. And I want to help bring you back to safety. Jesus today teaches us about how much God loves us so that we would be careful to love each other that much as well. And we'll never get there. We'll never love each other as much as God loves us. But I pray that we would try our very best. The way that I liken this in my head, I'll give this to you just as I end today. Y'all have heard the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Have y'all heard that before? And, you know, the idea is, of course, the parent is the one that's directly in charge of raising the child. But, man, the more grandparents or aunts or uncles or neighbors or people around that love that child, the better it's going to be. Well, look, God's the one that is in charge of my spiritual state. He's the one that's in charge of my salvation. But, man, he gives us a church to be the village, right? God can take care of me all on his own. But when I also have a church that will help hold me accountable and will help me be where I need to be and help love on me, how much better, how much more likely am I going to be to do the right thing? We need to be one another's village. We need to be a community of faith. So just a couple of questions. Do you do this? And I don't just mean do you go after brothers and sisters when they stray. When I say, do you do this, I mean, do you do it because you love your brothers and sisters? Do you rejoice when you see a brother or sister that was straying that comes back? Because sometimes we're not good about that. Oh, I can't believe they're back. You know where they've been? 
you know what they've been doing? They're not, they shouldn't be here. That's not how the story goes. The story goes, we don't want to be the older brother in the story of the prodigal son who gets mad when his younger brother is restored. We want to be the father. We want to be the shepherd who rejoices when a brother or sister is brought back from a place of danger to the place of safety. Do you love your brothers and sisters? Or do you just say, that's none of my business? It's not my business to know what they're doing. It's not my business to go and talk to them about that because Jesus says it is your business. We're brothers and sisters. We're family, and it is our business. I pray that you would do that. I also want to ask you this morning, are you willing to receive this as well? When you are the one that's straying, and a brother or sister from your Sunday school class or somebody from church comes to you and says, listen, I just know that this is something you've struggled with before and I see you going down this road. Do you get mad at that person or do you understand that they're just trying to lovely, lovingly take you from a place of danger to a place of safety? Brothers and sisters, we need to welcome accountability in our lives. We need to be willing to know that when somebody tries to keep us from temptation and sin, that they're not trying to be mean, but they're trying to show us their love. I pray that if you're not willing to accept accountability this morning, that you would understand that it's one of God's teachings that he's given your brothers and sisters to bring to you. I want to invite you to stand this morning. And I don't know if you're in here and, and you realize that you have looked at other Christians as being less important than you and that you need to repent of that. Or you're here and you know that you have often seen a brother or sister straying and you have brushed that off as not your job or something you don't want to do and today you see Jesus telling you that that is something. You should love them enough that you want to go and help them. Maybe you're here today and you've brushed off when brothers or sisters have tried to show you that love and you understand that. I pray if the Lord's speaking to you about something, if he's calling you to do something and you need to pray and you want somebody to pray with you, I'd love to do that. You can pray where you are. These altars are open to you. I would love for you to come and spend time praying before we go this morning. If you have something you need to make public, come and let us announce that to the church. But whatever the Lord leads you to do, I'm going to ask that you do it as Brother Shane leads us in the hymn of invitation.